I don't know about you, but I long for that day when we will never cease to praise. I long for that day when there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. Until then, we learn to love one another as we spur one another on. That's a good segue to our text today. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Today is a special day, not only because it's a holiday weekend, but because it's my bride's birthday. So I know she probably didn't want me to point that out. She's celebrating her birthday today, so you can um, congratulate her after the service. I'll leave it up to you to ask her age. Sheena and I met when we were in the youth group, so I'm going to be telling Mike to keep a close eye on our kids. But when she and I were in the youth group, we really admired uh, the youth pastor, uh, Pastor Chad Crooks and his wife Shelly. They were a great mentor to us, an example to us. Um, They even had us over to their house for a full five-course meal before prom. So we felt like, wow, this is so great, it's so special. They were great examples of somebody to look up to, a mentor, and a godly example that pointed us to Christ. They were true examples of what it means to follow Christ. Well, here in our passage today, we learn of Paul's example of godliness. But before we get there, we read of many ungodly examples. We read elsewhere in Scripture that bad company corrupts good character. So it's important to know who is influencing your faith. The author, Paul, he gives us examples to avoid and examples to apply. So with that being said, let's dive into our passage. It is on page 1056 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to read the passage and pray. If you remember last week, Pastor Cody led us to the end of 2 Timothy 2. And there it said, Perhaps God will give them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. So we see the trap of the devil influencing those who have rejected the truths of God at the beginning of this chapter. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people, for among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress. For their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. Then in verse 10, it says, but you, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. 
along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious Father, as we look at your word, a word that is difficult on numerous levels, it is your word. So Lord, I'm so thankful I do not have to come up with something innovative, genius, because Lord, your word is what we proclaim. It is truth, it is living, it is active, it opens our eyes to what is reality and what you have revealed to us as good and right. So Lord, help us where we have gone astray, lead us to repent where we need to repent, help us to persevere, to hold on, to continue following in the midst of all sorts of sufferings and struggles that we may have. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are with us, you are near your children. In fact, the Psalms say over and over again that you hear our cries for help. So help us to cry, help us in our unbelief to persevere. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of hard times, difficult times, the last days, that the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, is with us, leading us, reminding us of truth. So Lord, teach us your ways, encourage us, comfort us, correct us, and Lord, we will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Thank you, Lord, that we gather gather today to worship your Son, Jesus Christ. May it be said of us that we talk a lot about Jesus, that we exalt Jesus, that we proclaim Jesus. It's in His name that we boast. It's in His name that we find life. And we thank you in advance. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So here we find a difficult text. This is not an easy text to go through. Not that it's hard necessarily to interpret, but it's filled with lots of sin, to be quite honest. And so, one pastor called it bleak and ugly. That was the beginning of my studying time. I was like, okay, this is getting better. Bleak and ugly. But it's not that the scripture itself is bleak and ugly. Rather, it's the behavior of humanity. It's our sin. It's our selfishness on display as we disobey God's word. And particularly, it's those who reject God. It's the wicked who are turning from his ways. And so, amid the ugly, we will find beauty in verse 10. So hang with me till we get to verse 10. You'll see this transition. But before we get there, I want to teach us this morning how to love. There's many, it's kind of disjointed this passage. There's lots of things going on here. But I want to teach us how to love. Last week, if you were here with us, Pastor Cody taught us how to fight. So today I'm going to teach you how to love. I guess you could say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. There you go. The Apostle Paul, though, he begins this passage by saying, hard times will come in the last days. It's like the captain of a ship hollering out, rough waters ahead. Pay attention to what's going on. The CSB puts it this way, know this. 
So this is the first thing that should get our attention. We're to know something. We're to be aware of something. Well, what are we to be aware of? It says clearly, hard times will come. Don't be surprised by fiery trials because hard times will come. And if we see when they're going to come, it's in the last days. So if we look at Scripture exhaustively, we'll come to understand we are living in the last days. When Jesus came into the world, the last days began. Hebrews 1 says that in the last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. 1 Peter says Christ was made manifest in the last times for our sake, for your sake. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's the beginning of the end, if you will. So as we live in the last days, we wait with anticipation for the coming of Christ. We're waiting for that last glorious day. And as we wait, we continue believing and holding on to the truth. But as we know that the last days are upon us, hard times are going to come, the Bible makes it very clear that there is much evil and that evil people will increase. We live in such a beautiful area and we live amongst beautiful people and so we don't see all of this evil taking place all the time, but it is there. What is this evil that he's talking about? People who, in a nutshell, are consumed with themselves. They're not following Christ, they're consumed with themselves. So Paul is telling young Timothy, as you are leading, as you are pointing people to Christ, be aware of such people. So the fr- I have three points for us this morning. The first of, wit- of, of the points this morning is, know this, people will love themselves. The first five verses, again, it's not your uplifting word, but we don't, want, we don't want an uplifting message. We want God's word. Whether it's hard, difficult, we need to hear it. And in the first five verses, we see people are loving themselves. Now, some may say, is this not a good thing? Should we not love ourselves? Yes, we must care for ourselves, but we're not to love ourselves at the expense of others. We're not to love ourselves at the expense of loving God. We love God, then we love others. See, we live in the age of self-love that promotes temporary happiness at the expense of obedience to God's commands. So Paul's telling Timothy, the important part here is to obey God. And as you obey God, then you will love others. God's commands are good because He is good. So the commands of God, they reflect the character of God. So we love others. Why? Because again, He first loved us. When we turn throughout Scripture, time and again, we see God's Word pointing us to self-sacrifice. Not to, not to boast in ourselves, but rather self-sacrifice. Remember the words of Jesus who said... Whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? Deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So, but we don't see people in the first five verses denying themselves. Instead, they're elevating themselves. They're exalting in themselves. And so, throughout the first five verses, we see descriptions over and over of those who are rejecting the truths of God. But we, too, must be on guard against such temptations in our own souls. We can't just say, well, these are the people who reject God. These are the wicked. These are the people who are rejecting the truths of God, but we have to be on guard of these temptations in our own souls. 
when we look at the descriptions here in the first five verses, listen to what Rick Warren said about the temptations here. He says, we must prepare for three main temptations that plunge leaders into ruin. Narcissism, hedonism, and materialism. The first temptation is to be narcissism. The second is the temptation to feel hedonism. And the third temptation is to have materialism. Whenever we fall into these temptations, what happens? It's more about me, less about God. This is the opposite of what John the Baptist said. I must decrease so that he, Christ, must increase. So as we think about the many ways in in which we don't love others in these opening verses, we are reminded how selfish we have become. We're warned of the ungodliness and the selfishness um, in the previous chapter of Hymenaeus and Philetus just a few verses before, and we're going to be warned by others in just a few moments. But the warning here is serious. The warning here is that difficult times will come and to avoid those who are consumed with themselves. Pastor Andrew Wilson reminds us of how quickly we can lose our focus as we seek purpose outside of Christ. He writes, The temptation of the young is lust, of the middle-aged, ambition, and of the elderly, bitterness. Actually, all three drives are similar and related. Ambition is a refined lust. Bitterness, a disappointed one. So when we elevate ourselves at the expense of others, not only do we hurt ourselves, but we ignore God's power. So after Paul describes these people who are engrossed with themselves, he says this about them, that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That doesn't mean that we can't have pleasure or that we shouldn't delight in something, but rather our first primary pursuit is delighting and loving and pursuing God. What else does he say about these people? He says they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Then what does he say in verse 5? He says, avoid these people. Paul, as he often does, he's not mincing words. Why does he say to avoid these people? Because they're fakes, they're phonies. They hold to the form of godliness, but they don't follow the way of godliness. They deny the power of God through their actions. Their religion is a show. And their spirituality is based on carnality instead of on Jesus and his humility. So Paul, on numerous occasions, he mentions those who are full of empty talk, empty sacrifices, and empty behavior. Perhaps someone comes to mind when you read these first five verses. Does this mean that you drop your groceries and you head to the car when you see them at Stop and Shop? No, that's not what this means. But it doesn't mean that you are to allow their reckless religion influence and impact you. These are not the people that are to be influential or to be mentoring you in the faith. In First and Second Timothy, there's several examples of those who have resisted the truth, who have turned away from the gospel. First Timothy, we won't turn to it right now, but First Timothy 4 is another one of those situations where people are arrogant, thumbing their nose at God, so to speak, and turning away from Him. 
they refuse to believe the truth. But when verse 5 speaks of denying its power, it seems from the context that Paul is speaking about the power of godliness. So what is the power of godliness? If godliness is devotion to God, which results in a life that's pleasing to God, then the power of godliness must be based on the power of God. The power of God is revealed in the gospel, the gospel of God. We see it is believing, living, and continuing in the gospel. The gospel is not just past tense, what Christ has done. It's for today. Do you believe that the gospel has power for today? It does. It's not something that just could be true. It is true. It is the good news about Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of what He has done on our behalf, what He did to restore us to Him, to have a right relationship with God. We see this only through the gospel. The gospel reveals to us Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, and how He intercedes on our behalf. He is our mediator. So my question for you this morning, do you believe the good news of the gospel? If not, let me encourage you to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus Christ today. But as I've said many times before, the gospel is for anyone with a pulse. If you are here this morning, the gospel is for you. And so we see that we must, especially, this is what Paul's saying here, we must cling to the gospel and stand firm in the gospel because if we don't, we'll quickly become deceived. We'll quickly become deceived. This is why we sing and proclaim, help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. We must continually remind ourselves it's by the grace of God that we are saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. This is not something that we can do. This is what Christ has done for us. So as we are tempted to be self-centered and love ourselves, instead we must be cross-centered, gospel-centered as we love God and love each other. I've said this many times before. It's always harder, most times harder, to love someone. It's very difficult to love someone. It's hard, but I did not say impossible. Because of God. With God, all things are possible. This is the power of God to change the hearts of sinners. If we just had verses 1 through 5, thankfully Cody didn't say just preach verses 1 through 5. That would be pretty discouraging. But praise be to God, we are rescued from our sin. That we are not controlled by our sin. Because of God, our hearts can be changed. The sin that promises joy in life, we know that that only leads to the grave. But the gospel not only promises life, but changes our lives so that we might love God and love God others and love what is good okay quickly let's move to the second point first point was know this people will love themselves but I don't think that that was very surprising to you this morning I'm sure that you're aware of that now the second point know this people will resist the truth so as we continue in the text verses six through nine it becomes evident that those who love themselves 
also resist the truth. We must know truth and love are not contradictions. There's not a tension there. Truth and love go together. There's not a tension between loving someone and treasuring truth. Those who disregard the truth, though, oftentimes will disregard others. So the people who are described in the first five verses are now manipulating their way into the lives of others. They may pretend to care for you. They may pretend to like you. But there's this manipulation going on in verses 6 through 9 and a mental corruption. They sneak into households to capture their victims. This is very, it's just very intriguing. You might be wondering, how are they sneaking into household to capture their victims? What's going on here? How is this happening? I'm not exactly sure. But the Greek here, as it talks about the households, points to particular homes. So this may mean the spacious homes of the wealthy where the church often met. This is where they would come in and deceive and manipulate the women. They prey on their weaknesses. What does this sound like? What, is, what comes to your mind? The garden, the Garden of Eden. Adam's away, should have been leading, should have been there, and the serpent comes to deceive Eve. So this tactic here by these deceivers, by these pretenders, is as old as the fall of mankind. It's been used repeatedly throughout history. Whether it's employed with the Gnostics, or with the Church of Scientology, or Jehovah's Witnesses today. They all seek to prey on their victims. They offer knowledge, but they are short on truth. So now in verses 8 and, through eight and 9, Paul highlights two individuals as an Old Testament example of people who resisted the truth. The best illustrations, the best examples are Old Testament stories. The only problem is we have to know the story. And so here in verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us a reminder of these, these two people, these uh, individuals known as Janus and Jambres, and they are magicians that are referenced several times in the book of Exodus. They, refuse, they refused to listen to Moses, and in doing so, they resist the truth. So these magicians illustrate the people here in 2 Timothy. The people are corrupt in mind and worthless, Paul says, in regards to their faith. Ouch. Worthless in regards to the faith. But this is what happens if you're a pretender, if you're ignoring the truth. If you're a deceiver, you're worthless in regards to the faith. We'll see this in just a few seconds in verse 9. This is why it's so important, so vitally important to protect the truth, to proclaim the truth, to point people to the truth so that we do not drift off course and follow just any teaching thrown our way. Just last week, I went kayaking with some friends in uh, the North River and there was a, a strong wind. I'd only been kayaking a few times, but um, I was waiting for one of my daughters. She was behind me a bit, and so I stopped paddling. And as I stopped paddling, I began to drift off course. In fact, the kayak turned almost at a 180 because I stopped paddling. So if we lose sight of the love of God and the truth of the gospel, what will happen? We'll drift off course, maybe slowly. Maybe we don't notice at first. This is why we must 
focus on the love of God and the truth of the gospel. Now look with me in verse 9. We see that those who are pretenders will be revealed. They will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all. This is actually a verse of hope, that they will be revealed. The wicked will be found out. But we know those who follow Christ by faith will persevere. We will endure. So what is our end goal? What should we pursue? Well, we find out now in verse 10, the moment we've all been waiting for. Getting to verse 10. So, first, people will love themselves. They're going to resist the truth. Now, apply this. Learn to follow. We continue to learn to follow. We see a familiar formula that Cody mentioned last week. It's the flee-pursue formula. This isn't your home-cleaning formula. This is a soul-refreshing formula. It's a soul-encouraging formula that's found repeatedly in Paul's letters. Look with me in 1 Timothy 6. I think it's up here on the screen, 1 Timothy 6. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This is mentioned over and over again in Paul's letters. Flee sin. Flee the old man, the old way of life, the old woman, and pursue Christ. Pursue that which is good. So this complements what we find um, here in 2 Timothy 3. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, we get to follow our Savior. This reminds me of what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's not about following super apostle Paul. It's not about following a personality. It's not about following somebody who's famous, but rather following Christ the one who is following Christ. Now, what are we called to do? Follow his conduct, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance. How can we do this? Only by the Spirit of God. Only by remembering the gospel, encouraging one another, stirring one another on towards love and good deeds. So Paul's exemplary faith teaches us the benefits of following When we follow Christ, we will look more like Him. Sometimes I get discouraged because I'm like, where am I growing? You know, where? I I saw this mountaintop experience here, but now I see I'm, you know, struggling here. But faithfulness and godliness isn't mountaintop experiences all the time. It's mundane, ordinary, just step after step, a long obedience in the same direction. We continue to pursue Christ together. So as you look at verse 10, as you think about all these ways where we are following Paul, we're following Christ, what, which virtues do you need to work on? Don't answer out loud. I'd venture to say you might mentally check the box of needing more patience or controlling your conduct. So how do we have more patience together? It's through Loving Jesus in daily commutes and in difficult conversations. Remember, it's always harder to love someone, but the love of God has gripped us. It changes us, even when we want to turn back to the old man and the old woman. 
So now we go from hearing Paul encouraging Timothy to follow his teaching, his conduct, his faith, his patience, his love, and steadfastness, to now following him and suffering. Just when, we, just when it was getting good, now we have to follow him in suffering. But suffering is for our good. Psalm 119 says that we suffer so that we might know the precepts and the commands of God. So this may not be the way we had hoped this exhortation would end, but it is for our good. We read of all that Paul went through. He was persecuted greatly. He suffered immensely. But now he glorifies God as the one who not only plans these things, but shows us purpose in pain and in suffering. So young Timothy is called to show others how to suffer well. Are you an example to others in how you suffer? I think of a couple individuals in our faith family, in our church body, who've encouraged me through how they are persevering through suffering. I think about my brother in Christ, Adam Dorsey. He was um, my co-laborer, church planner, when we were in Newfoundland. Him and his family had gone through so much. They had to move back to Tennessee so his wife could get a liver transplant. They were persecuted for their faith. Now he's waiting for an intestinal transplant. The doctor said one family going through one transplant is, is more than enough. Now for a couple to go through two transplants, how could this be? But through it all, he gives honor and glory to God. So through suffering and persecution... We fix our eyes on eternity. Through suffering, we learn how to endure and persevering. And suffering is the means in which we depend on God. Again, I love the Psalms. Just yesterday I was reading from Psalm 118 where it says, I called out to you in my distress. The Lord heard the psalmist in his midst of his distress. He said, I heard you, responded, and placed you in a broad place. So suffering is the means in which we depend on God. You are created to be dependent on Him, to lean on Him. Sin makes you think self-sufficiency is a virtue. Spoiler, it's not. In how we respond to suffering, we make a distinction between the imposters and the true believers, as we see in verse 13. And through suffering, we ultimately glorify God. We all suffer And we all struggle. Since moving here in February, numerous people have asked me, how's the transition gone? I'm so thankful for those questions. And it's gone well. It's gone really well. It's gone better than I expected. But of course, it's not been perfect. Our family's not perfect. There's moments when each of us struggle. I was meeting with a couple this past week and was sharing with them um, of one of those moments whenever I was struggling just a couple weeks ago. Have you ever, this is, this is a hard question to ask, but have you ever showed up with the faith family for church, so to speak, and not wanted to be there? I know none of you, none of you. But for me, I had one of those weeks a few weeks ago. I was just in a fog. Just in the fog. There was no amount of sleep the night before that could change that fog or clear the air. But I showed up. I made it through the service. I thought a couple times, maybe I should just go out in the lobby. No, I made it through the service. And afterwards, still in that fog, you know, sometimes you're having a conversation with people and you don't even really remember what you're saying. 
just like having this conversation. But it was in the midst of one of those conversations that the fog dissipated. I remember that conversation, just so encouraged through that. So I made it through that day, reminding myself that I needed to endure this momentary struggle because I knew it would pass. So as you follow, and as you learn to follow, look with me at verse 14. It was hard to stop at verse 13, to be honest. But look with me in verse 14 as we close. Paul tells Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We must continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. We who are followers of Christ continue to learn and how to follow Christ by believing the truth, by loving God and loving one another by faith. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you and I praise you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that these words would be pleasing in your sight. Father, remind us of the hope of the gospel. The power of the gospel is for us today. Lord, we thank you and praise you that our eyes have been opened, not to love ourselves and not to resist the truth, but to love you and to know that the truth has set us free. So we thank you and praise you for these words. Help us now to follow, to follow by faith, and to learn to follow day by day. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.